Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30, and, of course, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First of all, we have to welcome back Stephen Ryan from Dixoni Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and it is good to be back. It's nice to be, in some sense, back in... Back in sort of routine. routine. Yes, <laughs> there is something pleasing about a routine when you know that you're meant to be doing certain things at certain times. So, uh, although we had a fantastic time away, uh, it's sort of nice to be home and uh, getting back into the normal things that you do and looking at the garden and paying for the fact you've been away for six weeks and <laughs> try to get things back in order again, all that stuff. It's all part of the fun. It is a bit of a struggle, isn't it? Because oh, you're, yeah. you're playing catch-up for the first week or so. Oh, we got home and, of course, we hadn't been, or I hadn't been around for the, the main fall of the, the foliage around the garden. So oh, yeah. The driveway was covered in <laughs> leaves. You, you couldn't even see the driveway, really. Um, and, yeah, it took a few days just to even just get to the point where you could find the paths and driveway again. Um, I had completely missed the colouring on my Japanese maples because yeah. they ha- weren't colouring up when I left. Yeah. Came home and their bare branches oh, and the yes, whole lot yes. have gone. Yes, the whole thing changed very quickly. But anyhow, so, uh, but there was a surprising amount of stuff hanging about because I don't know what it's been like in other parts of Victoria, but certainly in Macedon we haven't had, we obviously haven't had the cold that we would normally expect in the autumn. And so I've got Things like tree dahlias and tree tree daisies and um, uh, iachromas and all sorts of things that are what I would class as fairly borderline plants to be growing in our area. So by this time of the year, normally they're all blackened skeletons. Uh, they come away again in the spring, but nonetheless, they always look pretty ordinary by this time of the year, including my Abyssinian banana. Uh, and they're all standing there looking perfectly fine. And, and the, certainly the dahlia and the daisy and some of the, and the iachromas and things are all flowering their heads off. Um, it looks completely unwinter-like. Or at least what I expected for this time of the year once I got back. So we obviously haven't had anything that could be classed as a proper frost. Yes. Um, so the whole autumn's been missed somehow. So well, there you go. So how that works. Uh, and apparently the weather was quite balmy while we were away quite a lot, so... I heard that, but you got back before me, and the yeah. day we, when, when we landed, it was actually eight degrees outside, and we all went, oh no. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, it did come in eventually, but yes, it, it was, it, it's obviously been quite a balmy autumn, and, uh, you know, things are still looking amazing for this time of the year. So, and I'm not complaining in the sense that I'm reveling in what I've got, um, but we still could do with some decent frosts. I think they're always a, oh, yes. a good thing for the garden. Absolutely. They clean up a few bugs, and they, you know, send a few things to sleep that should be and all that sort of thing. So, yes, and we just haven't had them. I must say, I've come home... I mean, other times when I've gone away, and, okay, it might have been at a different time of the year, but you come home and, you know, things like the veggie gardens are jungle and, mm. you know, this time I've come home and everything's almost dormant for me. I've yeah. 
I don't have all that much cleaning up to do, oh, apart from the good. leaves. Well, I have to say, I was expecting the veggie garden to be looking reasonably good because as I went away, my garlic was growing like mad and there was a whole pot of amaranth germinating all the way through the garlic and I thought, oh, one frost, that'll clean it all up. Yep. It'll be gone. And it didn't. No, it's still <laughs> You've growing. got amaranth coming yeah, out everywhere. I've got it up all over the place. And I'm actually probably going to have to get down on my hands and knees and weed it out. I thought, oh, you know, a frost will clean it up and it'll yep. all be gone and the garlic will be fine. Yep. Um, but the amaranth is is actually competing with the garlic now, so I'm going to have oh, to Oh, you're going to have to, because yeah. garlic doesn't like competition. No, it doesn't. So I'm going to have to get in and weed it all. But my broad beans are up around about sort of 18 inches tall oh, well now, done. and they're doing really well. Yep. My broccoli got all its hearts eaten out by, I think, a possum. Uh-huh. Uh, so I've got a whole pile of leaves with nothing down in the middle. <laughs> uh, something certainly chewed the centre out of them. So oh, I'd say a possum. I've got a sense it was a possum. Yes. Uh, so I'll have to plant some more broccoli, which will probably be too late to get a, a good crop anyway because we'll get caterpillar into it before yep. Before it f- hearts up for me. So, yes, yeah, so I think broccoli is going to be a bit of a waste of time this year. But anyhow, uh, other things are doing quite well, so okay. I can't complain. Okay. We must say a very good morning to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, Pam and, and Stephen, and good morning to everybody out there in listening land. I don't know what's happened with, with our place. We've had about um, uh, 14 frosts. Really? So far. Well, that's yeah. the joy of living in Clombenane. Yeah, you're right. And, and <laughs> <laughs> we have um, uh, those pockets of different weather in different places. But uh, listening to Macca this morning coming in, and, um, you know, the Australia's in... in, in Dire straits with the drought, mm. and yes. they're carting uh, huge amounts of hay up up north and all, all the way up to Queensland and through that area. Very very dry, mm. ex- exceedingly dry. So um, we can say we've had we've had some reasonable rain. We had a, a, another six mil about uh, two days ago. Okay, and uh, we had another lot before that around about twenty one mil. Mm. So it's been patchy with the weather, mm. with the rain. Yep. So um, and things are very green around our place. Exceedingly green. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's all yeah. positive. Yeah, yeah. We'll the, get there. And the colour is brilliant. Okay. I was down through Gisborne the other day, Stephen, mm. and the oak trees through Gisborne are absolutely glorious. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Mm. All right. We need to get to some community announcements first up. And uh, today uh, is the themed guided walk down at Geelong Botanic Gardens. Uh, it's entitled Spices, Tastes and Flavours. And um, it's all about uh, plants providing um, all sorts of interesting uh, things to uh, to liven up our cooking. So um, uh, it's a gold coin donation. Uh, you meet the guide at 2 o'clock on the steps of Geelong Botanic Gardens. So that's all happening this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Now, also, I've had uh, a little notice from Yates. Now, Yates have teamed up with Life Education Australia, and what they're doing is uh, they're offering 15 grants to the value of $1,000 each to schools, kindergartens, childcare centres and youth groups who can demonstrate plans and ideas for a garden that encourages a passion for growing and learning healthy habits. So the grants will be awarded to well-designed and thought-out entries uh, that focus on growing veggies, herbs or fruit. Now, applications, now teachers, if you're listening, applications are open, but they close on 15th of June. So you'll need to get your skids on if you... uh, if you really want to uh, to enter for one of these grants, but it sounds like a wonderful opportunity. So to apply, 
And for more information about them, you go to lifeeducation.org.au forward slash garden grants. I'll just repeat that. lifeeducation.org.au forward slash garden grants for those ones. And do remember, closing date is 15th of June. Now, Stephen, big day out next mm. uh, next weekend, June 16th, and this is being run by the Royal Horticultural Society of Victoria. Yes, it'll be down at Deakin University uh, at the uh, Rusden Theatre, and it's a whole day uh, of talks and uh, all sorts of interesting sort of horticultural things. Uh, the awards will be handed out from the last Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show Hanging Basket competition. Uh, there'll be people selling stuff. Um, so there'll be all sorts of things going on. It's $15 with a light lunch available for another $15, but it must be pre-ordered. Um, and uh, if you want to come along next weekend, you, again, you probably need to get your act together um, and, and book straight away via the um, um, RHSV. Um, I'm sure they've got something here somewhere where I can uh, give you something. Um, oh, well, you, should, you could email them, it might work, uh, at P-L-A-N-T-Z-I-A, plantsia, at bigpond.com, um, so, or you could phone on... Five three six seven six two six three. Um, Jane Edmonds will be there. I'll be there. Attila Capitani will be there. Uh, so there'll be speakers on all sorts of different topics and things. So it should be a good day. I've got a different phone number from you. I've got six three six three. You've got six two six three. No, I made a mistake. Good. Well, we better repeat the phone yes, number. Yes, we better repeat it. I don't know how I did that. My dyslexia must have set in. <laughs> okay, um, so if you want more information... You need to ring 53676363. That's right. Yeah. And, okay. And that will be, I assume, the phone number for the Rickabees. Um, so uh, you can have a chat to them about booking in. And uh, it's always a big event. Uh, I went down and talked to them several years ago and uh, they had this auditorium full of people. It was fantastic, mm. really, really good fun. So um, you're speaking, Jane Edmondson speaking and um, Attila Capitani yeah. speaking. So really good day. Yeah, I think it should be fantastic and I think good value at 15 bucks a head. Yes, um, definitely. So, um, yes, be there. should be good fun. Absolutely. So, I, I believe my wife will be there too. Will she? Yes. Will she be selling roses? No, cleaning the toilets. No, she's <laughs> selling roses. <laughs> Good. Okay, Graham, you're yes, on the ball you. this morning. <laughs> yes, he is rather, yes. Uh, dear. Yes, well, there are going to be uh, a number of vendors selling products, yeah. so I assume that Diana's going to be one of those. Oh, yes. yes. Well, she's delegated herself yeah. to okay. be there. I've got to mind the nursery that day. Oh, mate. The nursery's going to be a mess. So does she leave you with a list of jobs to do? Oh, a big list. I Good. thought you might. <laughs> yeah. Good. Glad to hear it. Do you actually read the list? <laughs> no, that's the problem. And yeah. do you tick them off when you yeah. finish them? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, one more that I really should mention. Um, Secret Gardens of the Dandenong Ranges. Now, I mention this every year because it's become an annual event in recent years and it really is a fantastic day to get involved with. Well, I should say days, plural, because um, it's spread over, well, it's from 17th to the 20th and then again uh, 24th to the 27th of October. Now, this is where um, on each day uh, people can go via a little minibus and visit um, several 
are privately owned gardens up in the Dandenong Ranges. Now, often these are gardens that don't open to the general public, normally at all. Uh, a couple of them do, but most of them are private gardens, and some of them are just fantastic. You get to meet the garden owners and have a chat to them, and uh, you see some really wonderful things. Now, you uh, the other beauty of it is it in, you get morning tea, lunch, etc. on the tour, and... Uh, you get concessions if you book for more than one day because each day you go to different gardens, so you can easily do more than one day, which is you just... You could do the whole lot. You could mm. do the whole lot yeah. if you're really feeling brave. I yeah. think you'd be exhausted at the end of it. <laughs> you, you would, yes. You'd have garden overload, I would have thought. You would then. have. And mm. a, a little bird, namely Virginia, told me that her garden has been included this year, yeah. mm. which is great. But uh, she and I actually went on one of these little mini bus trips several years ago. Yeah. The first year they ran them, and we had a fantastic dough. Yeah. Really did. Well, there you go. So yes. everybody should get involved. So mm. it's absolutely wonderful. Now uh, you'd need to book online and uh, let me just see if I've got the it's, it's, it's rather a long uh, word to, to type in but um, it's Secret Gardens of the Dandenong Ranges, all one word. Secret Gardens, plural so there's an S on the end Secret Gardens of the Dandenong Ranges .com.au. God, that's worse than supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you'll also see on that uh, on that website, you will see the list of each day and which gardens they're going mm. to be visiting. So it's not a surprise package. It's not a surprise package. Yeah. No, you can actually choose which ones. If if you've seen, you know, three of them on one day, we'll choose a different day, obviously. Yeah. Or, but a great thing to go along to, and as I say, do more than one day because mm. you'll have a wonderful time. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Graham, we need to mention your pruning days that are coming up. Yes, Pam. Pruning days. Pruning for, for roses. And we'll even talk fruit trees if people want to talk fruit trees. Okay. Um, but the first one at the nursery is on the 20, 23rd of June, starting at 10.30. And the next after that is on the 15th of July. That's also starting at 10.30 a.m. And the last one is... Saturday the 28th of July at 1.30pm. I'm glad you said AM. I'd hate people to turn up at 10.30 at night at your place. (laughs) I don't think they'd receive a very warm welcome. Well, we'd be home. We'd be home. (laughs) Yeah, you'd be home. (laughs) You'd be very grumpy too, I would imagine. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, And if people can't make those dates and they give us a ring, we could, um, and they come to the nursery, we could go over some pruning with them if if they feel that. They need to do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Yep. So uh, should they bring along their secateurs, Greg? Yeah, bring their secateurs along and we can have a look at them and, and um, do some sharpening and cleaning up if they want to look at that as well. Okay. Well, okay. you better give out the address. The address is um, 550 McDonald's Road in Clonbanane, straight up the Hume Freeway, and you won't miss the Clonbanane turn-off, and we're about 500 metres from, from the actual freeway. Okay, and um, costs? No, no costs involved. Free of charge? Yeah, I'm, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, cheap at the price. Yes. <laughs> okay, I shouldn't have said that. Um, and also, do they need to pre-book to say they're coming? Um, they don't need to, no. no. Okay. Only if they're, they, they're not coming in those three days. Okay. They need to give us a ring and let us know they're coming. So the phone number? The phone number is 57871123. Okay. 57871123. Great. Terrific. Good. All right. 
Stephen, I yes. promised I promised some of the people on our tour that we would have a quick little chat today about mm-hmm. some of the things we saw on our tour, some of the experiences we had, because I think we should make people who didn't come jealous because well, they missed should. out on a really great tour. Yeah, although I don't know that I could have taken all the three CR no, we, listeners. No, we, 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 we couldn't have, but you yeah. never know. Next time. Yeah, so, yeah, it was. It was a fantastic tour. Uh, I mean, it's obviously uh, a tour that is... Uh, basically about going to visit gardens, but it's never all about that. Never. No, the the, the tours that we do um, incorporate lots of other stuff. So on this South of France tour, uh, we not only visited an amazing array of private and public gardens, uh, we visited art galleries, museums, uh, ancient Roman sites, uh, uh, a whole range of things. We went to um, village markets and, and bought fabulous food for picnics. Um, we had uh, the most amazing live music evening. Oh, yeah, that was truly remarkable. That was wonderful. You don't expect to go and and have two gorgeous young women, one playing the harp and one singing jazz, Mm. combined. It was a most unique sort of experience, and, Mm. and they were stunningly good. They just blew me away. So, yeah, so we have all sorts of interesting things slotted into these tours. So um, we, we got into gardens that hardly anybody ever sees. Uh, there was a couple of gardens that were very private that we managed to have access to. And that's we even the... amazed some of the other gardeners that we'd got access into them. Oh, yes, you'd say, oh, where have you been? And you'd tell them which garden you've been to. And they'd say, how did you get there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how did you get that one? Yeah. So I think it's the big thing about going on a tour. I mean, I'm a very... Very capable um, uh, private tourist. Uh, I can go almost anywhere and enjoy myself and find things and do all that sort of stuff. But you cannot do some of the things we did unless you link up with a tour because you just can't get into these places. Exactly. You know, so you can probably go to all the museums we went to and the art galleries and the ancient sites and lots of other things. But a lot of the gardens we got into, we got in by mm. private invitation and you can't do that as, mm. a, as an individual tourist. So it was just fabulous. Some of those terraced gardens in oh. uh, the south of France were just remarkable. And People made gardens on the most inaccessible sites, yeah. one on a cliff face, yeah. for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah that uh, one was remarkable. That was uh, gorgeous. Spiral stone staircase to oh. get from one level of terracing down into the next level of terracing. Um, and it just went along the sides of the cliffs. It was just it remarkable. Was, and it was the most stunning garden. Yeah. yeah. The atmosphere in each of those terraces yeah. was just and, of course, there's the other advantage of doing these sorts of tours as well, because you not only get into these places, but quite often you would have morning tea or a lunch or, or whatever in the surroundings of the garden, meet the owner, be able to find out a little bit about their principles and practices and things and why they did things in certain ways. And so it makes it exceedingly personal. But the the the... the, the piece de resistance, if you like, is mm. that many of those owners were incredible characters. Oh, weren't they? What? I mean, I've met people that I will never, ever forget because yeah. their personalities uh, were just well, amazing. I think the, the personality that topped them all for me was William Waterfield yes. uh, when we were at Montauk. He was in his 90s. Yeah, and <laughs> a cheeky, wicked, fantastic man. He was just Wasn't fabulous. Wasn't he gorgeous? He really was. He was He was fantastic. So I was very pleased to have met him. I'd heard about him uh, for a long time because he's the last, well, he's basically the last man standing. He's the last of the English garden owners of the sort of Cote de Jour area because it was something that was done way back uh, um, Lawrence, Lawrence Johnson and all those people had their gardens in the Cote de Jour uh, and so there was this big sort of English expat sort of group and William is the last one standing he's he's 
grandfather started the garden where he is. Um, uh, then his uncle took it over, and then he's taken it over. And so he's the last of the English ex- expats that actually are still running their own mm-hmm. garden. And so he's quite something. Oh, he yeah. certainly is. And his garden was amazing. I mean, the collection of plants he had in that place was just incredible. He had plants from all over the world. You Absolutely. Know, just, you know, he was waxing lyrical about the Australian wattles he had, and I was feeling completely out of my depth because there were quite a few species there I'd not seen, so I didn't know what they were. Um, but, yeah, he had a, a cowrie from New Caledonia and all sorts of stuff in his garden that you just wouldn't mm. expect to mm. see mm. Uh, in somewhere like the Cote d'Azur. So... So and, it was and, and we did find quite a lot of the gardeners had some Australian native plants. Oh yes, it was. Quite and they prized them. Yeah. It was it was really interesting to hear people from overseas actually waxing lyrical about our Australian native plants. Yeah, yeah it certainly was. Yeah. And uh, and in fact, a lot of those gardens were exactly that sort of thing. They were experimental gardens where they brought plants in from all over the world, uh, particularly from warmer climes. I mean, uh, Lawrence Johnson's garden was an experimental garden about growing plants that he couldn't grow at his other garden, which was Hidkit Manor in England. So uh, this was the place he could grow his subtropicals and other sundry things that he bought from all over the world. So he'd spend uh, his winters on the Côte d'Azur and he'd, sp- he'd spend his summers in England at Hidkit, um, which sounds like a terribly hard life to lead. I oh, think, gosh, you know, yes. I don't know how he managed. <laughs> um, with a whole pile of garden stuff running around, keeping everything in order. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I thought William Waterfield was one of the most incredible characters, although I have to say the guy who, towards the end of the trip, who owned um, the Jardin de Sambuc, um, oh, yes. the old hippie. Um, <laughs> Nicholas. Yeah, he was screamingly funny. He uh, was hilarious. Yeah, and the most amazing garden because it was... It was a very personal garden, and he was a stonemason by trade, and he built these incredible stone towers that went, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet in the air, but only probably three or four feet wide, these great big pinnacles that stood mm. up in his garden. And I'm assuming there was some sort of metal infrastructure in underneath There has things. to have been, because yeah. they would have toppled yeah. very quickly. And, and he had all sorts of quirky things, like his wife, when she's weeding, she doesn't take things off to a compost heap. She makes these nest-shaped things out mm-hmm. of the weeds so and all twigs. the twigs and the weeds, yeah. and it's a fabulous idea. Yeah. So they made these nests, they rot down over a period of 12 months or so, and he po- ponks stones in the nests to hold the pla- things in place, and they look like dinosaur eggs sitting in a nest. So oh, we were right, saying okay. so so that he, he was emulating stork, stork nests yeah. with yeah. dinosaur eggs in oh, the middle right. of them. Yeah. And, it was, and it was such a brilliant idea. Yeah. Instead and of they, cutting... Yeah, instead of... And, I mean, his garden was, again, quite very steep, steep. And it would be difficult to drag stuff any distance Absolutely. there. Absolutely. So instead of dragging stuff out of the garden... It's right there. He'd yeah. just make these strange giant nests mm. everywhere. And brilliant uh, idea. Yeah, and, and mm. it worked well. And within 12 to 18 months, they'd virtually rotted down, mm. um, and they could start again. Yes. So, um, yeah, so he was quite a character. And he of course, was. That day, it bucketed oh, rain, and he, he had his funny little tiny um, van, and he was coming down and picking up three people at a time from the bus. We couldn't get this huge bus up his driveway, and it was mm-hmm. absolutely pouring rain. Ooh, really? So he came up and down, up and down, yeah. shuttling us all yeah. up to his garden. And, and, and he had lunch organised under a huge big marquee thing out in the garden, so it's bucketing down rain mm-hmm. all around us, and here we are sitting there eating a homemade lunch that uh, mm-hmm. he and his wife and daughter had put together, yeah. uh, uh, mainly out of local grown 
produce. We yeah. had nettle soup and all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, They're so, very proud of their local produce. Oh, yeah. Well, the French are very like that. I mean, yes. any country that can produce 400 different varieties of cheese um, <laughs> yeah. uh, is a pretty amazing place. So, yes. But, so I mean, be, be, because you're, you're, you're in um, Provence and Cote d'Azur and you've got that wonderful um, sunshine to ripen your... I oh. mean, the tomatoes taste like real, real oh, tomatoes. Yeah. And, and everything smells of lavender and oh, rosemary. And, yes, and know, olives and... Yeah, the, yeah, oh. yeah, everything was just... Mm. Well, just gorgeous, really. Uh, and we were there, of course, in, in spring, so everything was still green. The grasses and things on the lawns were still green, and the wildflowers were flowering. And, uh, and I guess for me, another highlight was to get up into the Cévennes National Park uh, and be able to stop the coach and get out and see wild daffodils and wild tulips and all sorts of orchids and, and stuff growing just on the verges on the sides of the mm. roads and mm. stuff. Mm. Uh, that was pretty exciting. Yeah, to see a whole busload of people, bottoms up, yeah. <laughs> crawling through yeah. the grass, I, I've trying decided, to take photos yeah, of I've tiny little yeah. orchids. And uh, <laughs> I've, I've decided to call it botanising. <laughs> so, botanising. Yeah, so, yes. yes, there's all, this, all these bottoms up in the air all looking at, around to see if they can find the plant nobody else has found yet. Uh, the so, only thing we didn't find was the frittle area. Uh, Never yeah, mind. Yeah, I would have loved Next to have time. seen some frittle areas. But anyhow, we did see tulips and we daffodils did. and all sorts all of fabulous in the wild. bulbs. Mm. What, what were the daffodils like? Well, the main one we saw was the poet's daffodil, Narcissus yeah. poeticus, which oh, is yeah. the white one with the little very short mm-hmm. trumpet mm-hmm. in it. And we saw drifts fields of it, of it. just mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. everywhere. It looked like snow. There was just did. white really? everywhere. Yes. It was mm-hmm. just remarkable. We did mm-hmm. see a few Narcissus pseudo Narcissus, the the wild true daffodil, mm-hmm. uh, but we only saw those spottily. There was just odd ones mm-hmm. in flower, and I think we may have well, we probably did miss the main flowering of those because the poeticus daffodil is one of the last to bloom, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. was. In full flight when we mm-hmm. were there, and so mm-hmm. there were areas of it where it just went straight up the hillsides and over the other side, and there must have been millions. Of oh, bowls. it was crazy! Yeah. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. just beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, and we had pretty good weather most of the time. We got rained on seriously the first day and about the second last day, and and apart and from apart that, from that, it was yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, we had the odd shower, which kept things fresh and lovely, uh, but it seemed to happen while we we're on the coach most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I just heard the other day that the, they say the most popular flower in England is the daffodil. Which is interesting. There you go. Yeah. I would have thought yeah. the galanthus would have to come close. Yeah. Uh, the snowdrop is one of those sort of obsessive plants. People who are compulsive obsessives by nature collect 500 different little green and white flowered things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's so little difference between most of the snowdrops that you've got to be an absolute uh, nutter to be able to work out which one's which. If I don't keep my snowdrops well labelled, I get them muddled up fairly mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they pay fast amounts of money for yet another green and white flowered thing. And I don't get that at all. But, I mean, they're lovely flowers, but do you need 500 different snowdrops? I no. don't know. <laughs> um, but, yes, it doesn't surprise me the daffodil is one of their favourite flowers, yes. I have to mm. say. Mm. Uh, and seeing them in the wild, well, anything you see in the wild, for me, is exciting. Yes. Because um, you get to see it in its natural habitat, how, it's, how it grows, what it grows with. Uh, all the different combinations that come into play. Uh, Like Craig and I were in Corsica before we linked up with the French tour and we spent three weeks travelling around Corsica on our own. Um, And to see Corsican hellebores with Cyclamen repandum and Anemone apennina all flowering together in this little woodland setting Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. somebody had gone to a lot of effort to make this beautiful little sort of vignette of Mm -hmm. plants together Mm -hmm. and yet it was just nature doing it. Mm -hmm. 
it was yeah very exciting stuff mm-hmm. and to show that they're still in existence they're yeah. surviving oh yeah in fact cyclamen repandum which is one of my favorite cyclamens because it flowers in the spring and it's got an amazing perfume uh i couldn't believe how much of it we saw in corsica again it was one of those plants you saw quite often en masse mm. there was just drifts and drifts of it up through the woodlands uh with all these deep magenta flowers with the occasional pale one or a white one amongst them and it was remarkable mm. we mm. must have seen thousands upon thousands of them mm. mm-hmm. so yes yeah, so it is quite exciting so it was a great trip and everybody who went i'm sure enjoyed themselves and those who didn't go shame on you and you're allowed to be jealous now um, and, what, <laughs> and what about the wines oh, oh. Yeah. Come on, Under we're in food. France. Yeah. What is there to say? Yeah, we had two Michelin restaurant meals while we were there. One was a two-star Michelin restaurant where we had an evening meal, uh, which was almost like a theatre production. It was just it incredible. Was. <laughs> and then we had a, a rather relaxed meal in a little village uh, in a in a one-star Michelin restaurant that was just so personal which and was, beautiful. Which was my absolute favourite and I'll never forget that day because yeah. it was, to me, it was the epitome of being in Provence, sitting under a vine-covered courtyard yeah. with, with, that with, with the chef of himself of waiting on us. Yeah, yeah the chef mm. was coming out and dealing with things and it was in the cutest village. Oh, it was a great village. Yeah. Huge I loved plane it. trees, a, a big uh, canal that uh, had, had been used apparently hundreds of years ago mm. to feed a mill. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this huge body of water right in the middle of the town um, it was just picture perfect. It was absolutely stunning. Yeah. Yes. And we had a lovely day as well, so the weather was kind to yes. us. Yes. Sitting there having this sort of extended luncheon uh, in this amazing little place that you'd never have found. No. In fact, it was, we were there, and I still didn't see the restaurant for a minute because it was sort of hidden in amongst yeah, all this ivy and vines. You went searching to yeah, see yeah, it. We and, didn't know where the entrance right was. parked right outside the front of it. I know. <laughs> uh, and you virtually couldn't see it was there. Um, and this amazing character who was the chef. So, yeah, so food was something that was uh, highlighted on the tour And because regularly. we're in Provence, the... the the uh, stock wine of the day was rosé because yeah. because uh, Provence is renowned mm. for its rosé. Oh, really? so yes, we did polish it. We did a lot we of good did. for their wine industry <laughs> we did, while didn't we were there, <laughs> uh, I have to say. I yes. mean, uh, yes, a meal without wine is breakfast. Mm. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> they didn't have any rose petal wine, did they? No. no. no we didn't no. see anything no. quite that They kept their roses in their gardens to yeah, show they, off. Yeah, they mm. tended to do that. Yes. Okay. But, uh, and, and of course, of course um, they used to have a huge perfume trade, so a lot of the cut flowers used to be grown for the perfume uh-huh. industry, yeah, yeah. Um, which is where all your rose petals would have gone to, not yeah. into the wine. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Like the lavender and yes. mm. everything else. We actually saw... A lavender press and all that sort of stuff while we were there as oh, well. Right. And yeah, yeah, so we got lots of cultural bits. Absolutely. As well. it was fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing that though we did note the issues of diseases in Europe, which is just frightening. And we are so lucky we that was really those. impressed yeah. on me mm. because. They're, they're absolutely riddled with all these pests and diseases yeah. at the yeah, moment. They've they're got a struggling. disease killing their plane trees everywhere and, they, and their huge big plane trees in France are just remarkable. All their uh, trees, are, all their streets are lined with these enormous plane trees and, and they could lose the lot. Yeah, mm. a fungal disease, it's, it seems to girdle the base of the tree and stop the sap flow going up the tree and just kills it. Mm. Um, so they're losing their plane trees. Uh, there's an olive disease that's a big problem at the moment. Uh, there's um, box blight and box caterpillar 
caterpillars which are destroying their box bushes in their in their parterre gardens and other mm. sundry things. Uh, every time you turn around, there's some other nasty disease or exactly. pest that they're trying to deal is with. There, is there people that are talking about what they believe has caused these things? Oh, they've come in from they've somewhere else. They've come in from somewhere mm. else, and, and we have yeah. to be so careful they don't come into Australia mm. because yeah. we don't have any of those at mm. the moment. Mm. Yeah, I think the caterpillar that's decimating the box came from Asia somewhere and it would have come in with something else mm. And, mm. and once it was there it started to breed mm. up because there was plenty of its food plant there mm. um, the um, the plane tree disease they did talk about how they thought that started but part of the problem with it is it's been spread by pollarding um, because they pollard a lot of their trees there so um, unclean equipment which they didn't realise until it was too late was spreading it all over the place so in lots of places they've actually stopped cutting their plane trees because um, cutting them is likely to risk them getting the oh, disease yeah. Okay. so um, yeah so it's awful uh, and you know these iconic trees that you you know you expect to see in those parts of the world uh, are slowly being destroyed by these nasty hmm. pests and diseases so we won't go off off about the quarantine that happens when we fly no we won't we'll place. actually yeah. be very grateful for yeah. it yeah. Yeah. yeah I just yeah. hope that they can manage to keep these things out because hmm. the, some of these pernicious diseases are pretty clever they find hmm. their way in no oh, matter yes. how careful you are absolutely so uh, it's the last thing we'd need in Melbourne is a plane tree disease oh can wouldn't you it be terrible yeah. Yeah. yeah so it'd just decimate our streets and it'd be a hundred years before they're back to yep. the same sort of maturity with some other tree species. That's right. Mm. So it is frightening. And it does actually bring up one point that I've always maintained that as uh, as gorgeous as avenues of single species of trees can be, um, you are putting all your eggs in one basket. And it mm. worries me that so many people do plant vast quantities of the one thing instead of making mixed plantings where if something goes wrong, it's only going to go wrong to a small percentage of the... It's of not the going to have the same devastation. No, exactly. I yep. mean, it may not look as, as grand uh, to put in a mixed planting, but I think it's actually a very good idea. Mm. And I'm actually trying to encourage more people when they're wanting to put in windbreaks and things to make mixed planting sort of hedgerow-type yes. plantings mm. with a mixture of different species of plants growing together so that you not only uh, not putting all your eggs in one mm. basket so if something goes wrong you're only going to lose an odd plant out of a, uh, out of a batch but you're also creating a more interesting <laughs> habitat where there's mm. you know, a diversity of flowers and fruit and other sundry things there so that you're creating habitats in which more creatures can live instead of the slightly sterile habitat of having mm. just one species of tree Absolutely mm. So yep. yeah, I think it's a very good thing that people should start looking at these sort of more mixed plantings mm. well, it, It's a question of taking care they're actually redoing the whole road Road from Lansfield right back to the uh, Buller Road near the airport mm. and there's a whole lot of r- really big roadworks going on there about $10 million worth and they've zoned off around all the trees mm. with red flags with bunting to keep the machinery away from the root bases of all these trees Right. and people are sort of you know laughing and carrying on because they've got signs up no-go zones and all that sort yeah. of thing but you can understand what Stephen's talking about and what you're talking about Pan it makes sense absolutely because machinery can it's only got to go across an area once and pick up a whole lot of stuff from on their tires and then convey it to, to other places. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Mm. You can move these things around really quickly. Yep. But can mm. you imagine Provence without olive trees? And that apparently yeah. is a possibility mm. in time. Well, and it's hitting Italy as well. Yeah. 
Yes, uh, yes mm. it's frightening. Mm. Anyhow, it but that's high. only one of the downsides of going on mm. these trips. Yeah, uh, sure. But it is a good thing to see these things and you then understand. Well, it is. Going. It's an education. Mm. Mm. It is. Yeah, it's good to have our eyes mm. opened. Yeah, I didn't mm. want to finish on a low note. No, no, it's yeah. not. It's yeah. not because mm. we don't have it in Australia well, yet. Well, there is so that side it's, of it, it's yes. a high note. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. True it is more than time we oh, opened yes. up our talkback lines for our listeners this morning. If you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question this morning, we'd love to hear from you. The number to speak to the team on air, which we have Stephen Ryan and Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm, 94190155. That's 94190155. Or this morning we have uh, Carol on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Carol, 94198377. That quickly reminds me that um, because it's uh, Queen's birthday weekend, this weekend, a long yeah. weekend, um, um, a reminder to listeners that if you're um, interested in um, getting hold of some Australian native plants, Karanga Native Nursery have got a big plant sale on ah. over this mm. long weekend. So uh, they're at 118 York Road in Mount Evelyn. So that's for this long weekend only uh, up at Karanga Native Nursery. Well, that's a good thing to consider to do this weekend. Absolutely, yes. Mm. It's a great place to go and visit anyway because it's got fabulous display gardens and you can see how these things grow. And mm. so There's not many nurseries left now where you can actually see plants in situ to get a sense of what they're going to do when you buy them in the little pot. That's right, And so exactly. it's really good. Yep. Let's have a chat about a plant, Stephen. All right, well, we'll start with uh, something that I've got in the garden that is still fruiting. It's always nice to have berries that last well into winter. Um, and this is a North American deciduous shrub called a snowberry for obvious reasons. It has pure white berries on it. Um, you'll often see it these days used in floral work. Uh, the florists love it because it, it holds its berries for weeks. Uh, and normally it doesn't have any leaves on by this time of the year, so you have the bare sticks with these clusters of... Um, uh, of pure white berries on them uh, and so it's a great cut berry plant um, it's, um, it's a reasonably hardy little shrub it'll grow in sun or semi-shade uh, it gets up to about a metre and a half maybe a little taller it does have a suckering habit so you'll end up with a thicket of it um, so keep that in mind when you plant it uh, to allow for that to happen because uh, I think, it, well if you end up with a thicket, you end up with more branches and potentially more berries. Yes. So you don't really want to restrict it to just one stem, even if you could. Um, and uh, there is a pink version of it as well, um, but the white one seems to be the one that you see around most. It has the bigger berry as well. And it goes under the botanical name of Symphoricarpus. Okay. Um, so Symphoricarpus albus, uh, meaning white. And it's commonly known as the American snowberry. Not to be confused with the Australian native snowberry, which is a Goltheria that grows in the hills of Tasmania and the berries are edible. Uh, as far as I know, Symphoricarpus aren't edible. Uh, I don't think they're particularly poisonous or anything, but uh, they're not something you'd eat. No. But as but an ornamental plant and having white berries, I think, is rather fun because you can get berries in red and orange fairly easily, but pure white berries are yeah. quite rare. Yeah, and they're a good sized berry. Yeah, they are. It's a very showy plant. It I is mean, showy. So, uh, a great plant to have in the garden. So there you go. So if you've got somewhere you can put a sh sort of a metre and a half or so deciduous shrub um, in sun or semi shade, it's reasonably drought tolerant once it gets its roots established. Um, so it's not a particularly difficult plant. Mm. Uh, it just needs an occasional cleaning out because it gets quite twiggy after okay. time so go through it and prune out some of the older wood every few years and keep it young and fresh looking great so symphoricarpus so i think it's a lovely plant what else have you got there well i'm 
most people are probably aware how obsessed with oxalis I am, um, which frightens the billio out of most people. But no, I it's it, just the name. Yeah, we know, should rename it and then nobody would I have could. a problem. I wish I could. But I brought along two that are winter flowering ones, which I think are just gorgeous. Um, there's a bright yellow one here called Oxalis Flavor Variety Fabifolia. Um, and it's called Fabifolia because it gets leaves a bit like broad bean leaves. Okay. Uh, hence Fabia. Yes, um, yes. And it is a slightly suckering one. It only grows to a few centimetres tall, so it'll make drifts in a, in a sunny rock garden and gets these large, bright yellow flowers on it. And it's very showy and the foliage is very handsome. Um, so that would look really good as, as a winter, winter colour, Stephen. It would be Excellent. ideal under your rose bushes if yes. your rose bushes are looking yeah. like leftover barbed wire after <laughs> a good pruning. Um, you could have some of these ornamental oxaluses growing under your rose bushes because mm. they get all the light they need when the roses have been pruned back. Yeah. Uh, and then in the summer when they're dormant, you wouldn't notice them anyway because the roses will be in full flight and mm. you're not looking down at the ground so much. Um, so I think yeah, some of the ornamental oxaluses would be ideal companion well, plants. Looking, for that at, looking at that with the good, the good yellow colour that's, that's always yeah. w- welcome the winter, it's got a, quite a different leaf than most other oxalis. Oh yeah, it doesn't oh, yes. have the clover shaped leaf, it, mm. has, it has leaves that are generally in two, with two leaflets mm. uh, although you get the occasional one that has three leaflets uh, and the individual leaflets are quite big and they sit like donkey's ears so you've got these mm. pair of upright leaves yeah. that stick up, so it, it, texturally the foliage is quite different and it makes an interesting uh, winter ground cover um, and it should be in flower in the Botanic Gardens at the moment. There was a big patch of it in the bulb beds at the Botanic Gardens uh, okay. in Melbourne that I remember seeing years ago, and I'm assuming it's still there because once it's there, it's probably never going to be not there. Yes. Uh, even if you make an effort to get rid of it, it's probably still going to be there. Uh, but they had a lovely drift of it in the Bot Gardens, and if you go in there on a sunny day in the winter, it should be this massive yellow. Mm. And I think it's a gorgeous plant. And the other one I brought along is, is one that's comparatively new to me. I only got it from a, another collector last year, uh, and it's one called Oxalis tenuifolia. And its foliage is actually like pine needles. Uh, in fact, when it's not in flower, it could be a spindly little pine tree. Uh, it grows to around about 10, 15 centimetres tall. It's a clumping one, so it doesn't madly spread everywhere, so you'll end up with a sort of a, a mound of foliage. The foliage is a nice rich green, and the flowers are white, but on the outside of the flowers, they have a pink stripe up the outside of the petal. So when the flowers are closed, they look pink, yes. and then they open up and they're white inside. Great. So uh, I think that's quite a, a nice one. There's a, a later flowering one with a similar flower form and colour called the Barber's Pole Oxalis, Oxalis Versicolor, but it comes out at the end of winter. Uh, this little tenuifolia comes out right in sort of early to midwinter. Uh, and I think it's a gorgeous little thing. Mm. Uh, and again, a mass of white flowers, and every sunny day in the winter it'll be out. Uh, and when it's not out, you've still got these deep pink buds, which look rather, rather scrumptious, and, and very pretty fine fl- soft, fluffy-looking foliage. Fantastic. So, Oxalis tenuifolia. So Fantastic. Okay. We're going to take a quick break to have a listen to a message. Faithful Gardeners, it's time to turn on and tune in to our annual Radiothon on Sunday, the 24th of June, from 7.30 to 10am and help keep your favourite gardening show growing. 
Listen in on Sunday the 24th of June and call 9 419 8377 for great deals on seeds, new organic products, gardening tools, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions and new green focus book titles or make a tax deductible donation to support 3CR Community Radio. Join us at the station after the show from 10 till 12pm to pick up your prizes, have a cuppa and say hello. Dig deep for the 2018 3CR Gardening Radiothon, 7.30 till 10am on Sunday the 24th of June. I love trees with all their lovely leaves Lifting up their branches to the sky And, of course, our Radiothon is coming up in two weeks' time, Sunday, 24th of June. And, of course, we will be on air from 7.30 right through until 10 o'clock that morning, uh, trying to tempt you in any way we can uh, find possible to support uh, 3CR and the gardening show in particular with our annual fundraising Radiothon. Now, we've got... So many uh, products um, out there that are all coming in, very kindly donated by lots of um, people in the industry who believe in in keeping 3CR and the gardening show operating for another 12 months. Yep. And um, so we've, we're going to have books, we're going to have nursery vouchers. Um, Stephen, you've already donated some yep, vouchers for right, us. That's so. wonderful. There's going to be um, seeds, tools, gardening tools, fertilisers, compost, Subscriptions, you name it. Um, so, and of course, uh, this is how we cover our running costs for the next 12 months with electricity prices going up. Mm. Imagine the cost of running a radio station just in our time slot on air, yeah. even. Um, so, we really do need everyone to support us. You can pick out some wonderful product. Um, you'll get it cheaper than, than what it will um, be sold um, as retail-wise. Yeah. So, so you're get getting a bargain. A bargain. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a gardening club, you can get all sorts of wonderful product to give away as prizes or whatever, um, and just supporting us at the same time. So uh, please do remember, that's in two weeks' time. That's the 24th of June on a Sunday. And when we come off air at 10 o'clock, we'd love you to come into the station at 21 Smith Street in Collingwood. And uh, say good day and have a cup of with us and pick up whatever you've, um, you've uh, tried to grab uh, yes. via your phone call. Or if you don't know what to get, just come on in and have a look. Look mm. through the books, look through the product, choose a few things and, uh, and everybody's happy. Yes, yeah, everybody's happy. So uh, you're going to hear more about that, of course, next week because we really do uh, rely on you, our wonderful listeners, to help support us uh, only once a year, just once a year. So dig deep on the 24th of June. Okay, I must remind listeners too that if you'd like to join us this morning, uh, particularly if you'd like to ask a rose crest question with Graham Sargent in the studio, or if you want to talk anything horticultural with Stephen, do give us a call. The number is 94190155, or to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen, back to the plants. Well, actually, well, you've got, got a message, yes, have I've you? I've got a message from the outside line. Okay. Um, Elizabeth from Frankston. Okay. Um, good morning, Elizabeth. Um, a stag fern has fallen from its wooden oh. backing. Uh, she's tied it back in place with cotton rope, and she was wondering whether the cotton rope will last all that long, or is there something better to use? Um, and, yeah, I would actually use um, wire, because you're not going to... You don't 
girdle a stag fern because uh, yes. it grows new uh, plate fronds over the top of the old ones. So I would just get some uh, galvanised wire and tie it in place with wire and that should last, well, as long as the wood backing lasts, really. Uh, uh, I think the cotton rope uh, will in a fairly short time start to rot mm. and then the thing will fall off again. Yes. Um, so, yes, I would just use some galvanised wire. Um, uh, the other thing you could use is that nylon uh, stuff that they use around boxes, you know, that oh, yes. sort of nylon strapping. Yes. Uh, that lasts for practically ever. So you could also use mm. that and you can slide it up underneath um, the outermost... Um, plate fronds so that you don't really see it there and then you could staple it to the back of the wood or something like that so mm. you could look at using that material as well uh, but wire is generally what I would use I mean I've got some stags and things attached to tree ferns and things around the garden and uh, I used wire to tie them up in place to start with mm. so so that's what I would suggest Elizabeth is that you actually wire them into place and then hopefully we'll be there for a long long time excellent so there you go okay All right. Um, all right, well, I've got another couple of plants, so we might as well Let's go. discuss them. Um, I've got this tall, lanky beast here with little white flowers just coming out on it at the moment, which is actually a Daphne species, um, Daphne blua in its white form. And blue is a strange Daphne because it's semi-deciduous, so it always looks a bit scruffy in the winter, um, but it flowers in midwinter. Uh, it is scented, but it has a different perfume to the classical Daphne odora. Uh, but the thing I like most about Daphne blue is the fact that it makes a sort of an upright conical bush. So it can get up to two and a half, three metres tall. Okay, so quite a that's tall a Daphne. decent height. Uh, but it'll only be comparatively narrow. So right. if you're looking for a shrub for a narrow oh. garden bed or between windows that you don't want them mm. to grow out over the windows. Um, Beside a pathway yeah, and, those, and getting all that perfume. Yeah, you don't have to bend down to smell it. You yes. can, once it gets to a decent size, you can put your nose straight Very into the plant. Very useful plant. And it is. It's a lovely plant. Um, you can get it in a pink and a white version. Um, and they're both nicely perfumed and they do flower in high winter uh, and I just think it's such a useful shrub I mean normal Daphne odora is a lovely thing in flower and I'm certainly not demeaning it but it's just a sort of a lumpy shrub mm. most of the year uh, it doesn't have any great presence about it mm. uh, whereas this one will actually make quite a uh, formal and interesting looking shrub mm. so Daphne Balua and it's spelt in a strange way so if you're looking it up uh, it's B-H- O-L-U-A, Balua. Now, uh, how, what, does that name have any significance? Uh, I think it's got something to do with the plant's origin somewhere near Tibet or um, okay. uh, southern China areas. Uh, I think it's about where it comes from. Okay. It may actually be an area or a place, um, but I'm not dead sure. I'd have to do some research on that. But, yes, B-H-O-L-U-A. So if you're looking it up, that's how you, pr- how you spell Balua. And uh, as said, you can get a white and a pink one. Um, uh, there are some forms of it that are slightly more evergreen than others. Um, uh, there's one called Jackal, Jacqueline Postel, which is a more evergreen selection that you can sometimes buy. Uh, but it really doesn't matter too much. I think they're all worthy plants for the garden mm. and a lovely scented shrub for the winter. Fantastic. So definitely worth it. Yeah. And the final plant I bought in this morning uh, is a clematis. Um, we think of clematis mainly as spring and summer flowering plants, uh, but there are a handful of really interesting winter flowering ones. And this one's a form of Clematis serosa, which is uh, a Clematis that grows in the south of France on the Balearic Islands uh, and some of the other Mediterranean islands. It's, it's basically evergreen, although it does 
become semi-deciduous in a hot, dry summer, so it can be sort of semi-deciduous at that time of the year, and as soon as the cool weather sets in, it'll start to flower. And this is a selection called Wisley Cream, which just has little white bells. Uh, the wild version normally has purple freckles inside, so this one's a clean, cream-coloured one. It doesn't have the purple freckles. Um, and it's a light, airy climber that would be ideal for, say, over a an arch in the garden, mm. something like that, uh, on a paling fence, uh, just on a post, on a... Uh, veranda or something it, it doesn't grow into a vast big plant uh, it's, and it's light and airy in form, it doesn't have big heavy stems uh, and it will flower from around about the end of May, early June, right through until around about April Wow um, No, hold on not right, right through can't, to April. What am I talking about? Be. Right through to November. So, That's better. Yeah, so from May to November, so the whole winter, early spring period, mm. this will have its little flowers on it. It's very pretty. And it very is. It's a pretty. sweet little thing. It's not it's big so and delicate. Yeah. Um, uh, but you'll get enough flowers on a well-grown plant to make quite some impact. Mm. Uh, and it has such a long That would go, cost. again, that would go really well with roses. Mm. That would too, yeah, because yeah. it, it fills the season when, yes. when your roses and it's, are and, and at, it's at not, their least. It's not over the top like yeah. some of them can be. Like oh, some yeah. of the hybrids are just. Well, I some find of them are so big in flower that they I become find them so too dominating. much. Yeah, they they, they don't just, they don't sort of blend into a garden. No. They just stand out there going, "Ooh, look at me!" Yeah, you're, um, you're right. They're a challenge to grow in roses. We've had a few in our garden to trial them, yeah. and they, they'll black out the leaves on on the rose, and the rose will start to shed its leaves. Whereas you won't have that problem so with thick. this one. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. This is delicate and would work really nicely. Yeah. I it's think. a lovely little climber. Yeah. So, uh, and it would be good through any other deciduous climber. I mean, if you had say. Uh, Virginia creeper or Boston ivy or something growing on a fence, mm. you could have this growing with it. When the Boston ivy or Virginia creeper's bare, your clematis is doing its thing. When it's looking a little tired in late mm. summer, uh, the other plant would be in vigorous foliage and, and would disguise it a bit so yeah. that it wouldn't be too obvious. I think it's just a great little plant. But there's a whole range of them. So there's Cirrosa balearica, which comes from the Balearic Islands, which gets quite a lot of freckling in the flower. Uh, this one's Wisley Cream, which has none. Uh, there is a, a larger flowered one, flowers about twice the size of this, called Freckles, that has uh, exceedingly large amounts of spots inside the flower which is quite pretty and I've got freckles out in flower on a, on a rose arch in the garden at home at the moment um, so there's a range of different forms of it getting around um, and there's another species called Napolensis which will be out in the next couple of weeks which has green bells with purple stamens which is rather lovely, and it's solidly summer deciduous, which is really weird. Uh, so the whole plant just goes bare in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as the cool weather comes in, it comes into leaf, it flowers, you get the pretty green bells with the purple stamens, and then it's followed by quite lovely fluffy seed heads. Great. So some of these uh, winter clematis are well worthwhile looking out for. And, of course, now is the time to look for them because if you're going to buy them in a nursery, they will probably have the odd flower on them now, so it's the time that the nursery should have them in stock. Yes, Mm. Wonderful, excellent. So there you go. Okay, good. Um, Graham, we should talk bare-rooted roses mm. because you must be right slap bang in the middle of it, are you? We're loaded with them. Yes, I thought you might be. Shock a block. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah Diana's processing a lot of orders at, at, at the at the moment, and uh, we've got a, another array of new releases again. There's about another 10 new releases that we have out of probably about um, 40 mm-hmm. that have come on the market. And um, we, we're really looking at roses that are really going to be healthy in the garden. And, um, of course, a lot of the Cordy's roses are, 
um, been winning awards in trial grounds, especially in Germany, where there's a big emphasis on, on the health of roses. So, um, yes, and, and there are also a big range of roses that um, uh, we've, we've got in the nursery that are two-year-olds, so they're well-developed and they're um, getting, uh, getting established in people's gardens a lot quicker. Now, yeah. people are scared of bare-rooted roses, mm-hmm. and I really think it's worth you taking the time to explain again to people mm. how they should treat a bare-rooted rose if they're going to buy one or order one, because mm. they can get them by mail order yeah. by virtue of the fact that they're bare-rooted. Um, as but, as but people are, are scared, and, and in some ways, um, rightly so, because if they're not looked after, they yeah. are running the risk of losing it. Yeah. Um, so can you go through... Well, for a start off, the, 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 the big thing is never let their roots dry out. Mm. And we put them in a special um, um, sawdust pit to keep, make sure the roots are moist. And when people plant them, plant them up to the, uh, where the graft is, um, just a bit above soil level to make room for mulch. And certainly before they do plant them, soak the roses in some liquid seaweed in, in, in water. And, uh, and if they water them in with the liquid seaweed, um, that solves really a lot of problems about the rose um, uh, acclimatising to the soil. And if there's little fine um, uh, roots on them that have started to develop, the liquid seaweed helps to um, um, uh, helps the rose to settle in mm-hmm. to the soil. And we, 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 we've set our customers for years, if they use liquid seaweed on their roses, we'll guarantee their roses. So um, that's um, a big call. Yeah, that is a big call. But looking at uh, you know over the years, uh, when we've been saying that for, certainly for the last twenty five years, our returns each year have averaged about four ro- roses return in a year, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's not a bad. That's a, a very mm. low attrition. That rate, is. That it? is. Mm. Yeah. Now, and what what are the other things that people should think about? Because um, you can't just get your bare rooted rose. Stick it into, um, you know, some, some liquid seaweed, etc., and then forget about it for three weeks, can no. you? You really need to firstly have thought out where you're going to plant it. Yes. You need to have prepared the soil mm. uh, and that whole site. Mm. Um, well, the best thing, best thing to do with preparing the soil, especially if they're doing it now, get hold of some compost, um, well-composted material, and turn it in through the soil, and um, then plant into that soil. Uh, dig a good hole, hole out and soak that hole with water and let that soak away, go away and have a cup of tea uh, and before you plant the rose and then, then bring the rose to the hole and then um, fill it in and water it in and, and tap it around the, the, the plant itself to hold it steady. Yeah, pretty now, simple really. The other thing that I've heard people, um, well I've heard that people do and I think we should also mention this, is that some people think that uh, for some reason they should be putting fertiliser into the base of the hole. No. It's not recommended at all. Yeah, and there's very and, good reasons, yeah. isn't it? And liquid seaweed is not a fertiliser, it's a tonic. Yes. Mm. It, it would be the only safe thing that you could use when you first plant a rose. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. Another thing with bare-rooted plants, and I'm not thinking specifically roses, but any bare-rooted plants, people are buying them in quantity 
it's a great idea to soak them in the seaweed and all that stuff, but then you don't lay them out on the ground no. uh, and you've got a hundred ahead <laughs> it of you to plant. It defeats the whole purpose. Uh, and then start planting. <laughs> yes. Uh, you do one at a time, yes. you know, so you keep the roots damp whilst yes. you're planting one and then do the next one. Because I did have a woman come back once with issues with some ornamental hawthorn she'd, she'd got and after I'd spent some time quizzing her on what had gone wrong, I found out that she'd left them standing on the ground out in the sun mm. and the wind, mm. bare-rooted, uh, and there was a whole batch of them. She bought 40 of them from me or something. Oh, gosh. And so she laid them all out where they had to go and then started planting. So it took her several hours to get to the far end. That's right. Uh, and that's where she was having most of her problems and, and the trees didn't take. Mm. Um, the fact that their roots had been out in the wind and sun and dried right out for several mm. hours was probably the main cause of the demise, mm. I would have said. Mm. So, yeah, so you keep them damp until they get into their yeah. hole each and work with each individual plant. Don't, yeah. don't try and do them as some sort of production line. Mm. And, and, and choose a time that you're going to get delivery of them when you're ready to plant. You've set mm. aside that time, maybe mm. a couple of days or whatever mm. that you need so that you can deal with them individually and you've got the time. Because, yeah. Or... If something untoward happens, supposing you, you, you've, you've got your, your order just come in and then you suddenly get sick or something, get someone to at least temporarily put them into soil. Yeah, heal them in heal somewhere. Heal them in get, somewhere. Get them underneath something to keep their roots damp. That's right. Uh, it doesn't matter if that's not their final resting place, but, but just heal them in temporarily mm. because that way they're easy to shift and you haven't damaged the roots. As long as you don't forget they've just been healed in and leave them there for yeah, another Yeah, leave them there for another <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you do have to be a little organised, but it's the same with anything in gardening. I mean, if you're going to sow seed, you've got to be around to look after it until it germinates and it gets ready to plant out in the garden. If you've put cuttings in, you've got to be around to deal with them until yes. such time as the cuttings are uh, uh, an independent plant again. And it's exactly the same with bare-rooted plants. You need mm. to make sure you're about to deal with the issues as they as the plants come in, and get them into place as quickly as possible. I mean, they're a living entity. Just yeah. treat them like a, a, a living human yeah, being. They might not you have know, any they, leaves on them, but they're still alive. But they're yeah. alive, exactly, yeah. and they need a bit of TLC. Mm. Yeah. Yep. The, 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 the rooting system is in dormancy, but it's still alive. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and, and there's a tendency to think, oh, because it might look a bit brown, that it doesn't need any attention, but, yeah. So if, if, if people would like to get hold of a bare-rooted rose, mm-hmm. are they too late this season? No, no, no. We, we'll be selling bare-rooted roses right up till mid-September. Okay. Yeah. That's bare-rooted roses. Yes. And then we're selling our, our roses potted, yep. which we se- send in the mail. And we can send bare-rooted roses, of course, to people in the mail or they can come and collect them. Okay. So maybe they could think of collecting some when they come up for your uh, pruning date. Yes, they could do that. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Yes. And you've got plenty to select from. Okay. Oh, that does raise a, another issue. If you're buying a rose to plant, a bare-rooted rose, should one look at where the buds are and how the rose has been pruned prior to purchase? Because some people seem to get roses from, and I'm sure it doesn't work in your place, but it, from some of the general nurseries mm. and things, and they look like somebody's gone across with their hedge cutters and just hacked mm. the tops off everything, mm. uh, should they start to form the shape of their rose straight away when they're planting it mm. out? Should they prune it back as well? Well, if, um, if, you, if you're using a, a or you, you're taking a bare-rooted plant, you just need to give it a, a, a trim mm. and look for buds that are fa- facing outwards. Yeah. That's really the, the main principle. Yeah, yeah, good. But it doesn't hurt to prune them back a wee bit more when you're no, planting them out. No, because oftentimes, if they've been out of the ground for a while, that top part of the tip will start to dry off. Mm. So yes. it's better to go below that and, and trim 
trimmed to a bud that's facing out. Or you might have had a bud damage that it's been pruned to, so you need to go lower to find a good one. Yeah, and they do get damaged, especially in in the paddock where there's other branches rub on them, Mm. and most times we find them, we just trim them off, take them right off. But, I mean, even, even, even the roots run the risk of some damage, and by trimming them back at the top as well, you're taking the pressure off the plant, aren't mm. you? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay. We must have all our listeners asleep this morning. Yeah, what is Stephen? going on? Where are you all? <laughs> that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, we would love to hear from you, is 94190155. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, so to speak to the team, we've got Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. We've got Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clonbanane. Um, so we're talking all things um, generally, uh, roses in particular, that number, 94190155. And we have Carol sitting very patiently out at the outside line. If you'd like to speak to Carol, her number is 94198377. Well, we've had somebody else ring in to the outside line. Okay. Um, and, um, yes, uh, Janet from Eaglemont was apparently quite jealous of our talking about our gorgeous trip to the south of France. Um uh, I won't be doing the South of France trip next year, but I believe Paul Urquhart's going to do the, norm, uh, the South of France tour next year, so it will be going ahead. So um, uh, if Janet did want to book on that one um, or on any of the other tours that this um, tour company I work with um, runs, um, I would suggest she gets in touch with the company, which is called Australian Studying Abroad. So ASA, Australian Studying Abroad. You could go onto their website and see their full list of upcoming tours over the next 12 months. And they do a range of garden tours, but they also do all sorts of other cultural tours and things. So special interest tours that might have something to do with chemistry or literature or ancient Persian architecture. You name it, there seems to be a tour doing it. Um, So the South of France one next year will be done, I think, with Paul Urquhart from Sydney. Um, uh, Next year I'm actually doing... um, two tours uh, in our autumn uh, around about March I'll be leading a tour to Morocco next year so uh, that should be exciting I've not been to Morocco so and again that's specifically it's a gardening tour it's so garden you're going tour. to be looking at lots of gardens along yep. with other cultural oh, things oh yeah we'll be visiting the souks to have a look at the uh, local crafts and things and uh, we'll be visiting religious sites we'll be going into the Atlas Mountains to look at wildflowers you know it, it will be a fantastic tour so I'll be doing that in March and I'm also doing Madagascar Madagascar again next year, and that will be sort of September-ish. Um, so they're the two tours I'll be leading next year, but Australian Studying Abroad have a huge range of tours, and certainly the South of France one, I'm sure, is uh, on the cards for next year, um, uh, as is, I think, the Normandy tour. The Normandy taken, tour again, yeah, Loire and the Loire Valley. Which is a stunning Just, tour. Just, it's a yeah. brilliant, and some of the gardens you visit are yeah. to, to yeah. die for. It's amazing. So, uh, yes, yeah, so Australian Studying Abroad is the company I work with, and they're a very efficient, very professional company uh, and they organise amazing tours into places that you wouldn't get into otherwise. So definitely worthwhile looking into. And there's some other um, really well-known tour leaders uh, who are 
highly yeah. qualified horticulturally. Yeah, well, John Jim Patrick, Fol- yeah, the one, Jim, Jim Fogarty. He's another one that does tours for them. Tim Entwistle does tours for ASA. So there's a range of well-known names in horticulture that um, uh, that take tours overseas, um, uh, as well as me. <laughs> Absolutely. Know, so, there you go. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I'll be doing Morocco and Madagascar next year for anybody who's interested, and I would leap in reasonably soon. I believe the Moroccan tour already has enough to go with. Uh, which is an, which is 12. Gee, that's good. So we've already got enough bookings for it to go ahead. Um, and the other good thing about ASA tours is that they are limited in numbers, so you don't end up on a bus with 45 other people. And uh, you do stay for more than one night. You're not oh, packing up suitcases every yeah, day. Look, and most of the tours, that's exactly how it works. You, you, you get to somewhere and then you do day trips out from there so that you come back to the same hotel, which is very... Oh, Fantastic. It's, you, it is. You're no, generally really grateful to be able to go go back to where you started from. You're cramming in so much in there. the day yeah. that just to have your, your known room and and yeah. all your stuff is and already your in there. Is and still out on the it's counter. It's still there. And and, yeah. you, know, you don't have to unpack everything. It's uh, it's great. So they are really really well organised tours. So there you go. I hope that helps you, Janet. Um, uh, you might like to come to Morocco with me next year, or if you'd love to do the South of France one, uh, then um, I'm sure that tour is up and ready to to book for now. So. Excellent. Why not? Okay. All right. We've got a couple of callers. We're going first up to uh, Lisa, who's in Hawthorne. Good morning, Lisa. Oh, good morning. Yes, thank you um, for the comprehensive um, discussion on the bare-rooted roses. That was great to actually good. cover all of the different mm-hmm. facets. But I just had a couple more questions to clarify. Um, one, you mentioned not to put fertiliser in the base of the hole, but I'm assuming you actually meant not to fertilise at all when you're planting the bare-rooted roses. Is that right? That, that's correct, yes. A slow-release fertiliser or you just wouldn't do no, it? No, I wouldn't do it. I'd, I'd wait till, till into spring, about September, October. Right, okay. Um, and se- separately, if you haven't got your hole uh, ready, um, is it all right then to just pot them up? And if you did that, uh, when? how long should you leave them in the pot, um, like... Uh, would you then plant them later in spring or would you just leave them in Oh, yes, you, you could transplant them from the pot at any time. Um, and, and, and the main thing is that if you've got them, got them in a pot, uh, to make sure you, you do water them at least, at, le- at least every second day. Mm. Yes, right, okay, good. Um, and also I have a, a couple of um, older roses, but one of them um, I've, I've pruned quite a lot hard uh, back on the fence, which... Um, of getting the fence done, so um, but it's actually looking looking quite quite good at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I just wondered if if you cut it right back to literally no um, green at all, mm-hmm. think, is it likely to come on? Oh, yeah, every chance it will come on, and 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 you could start working with that with liquid seaweed now. Okay, and just mix it up in a watering can and and pour it over uh, over the rose itself. Yes, because we might. And, Cut most of it off, but I suspect we might still have to cut it almost right down to um, to allow the fence to, to be on the side of it. Um, mm. yeah. You could use liquid seaweed once a month. Uh, it's a bit of a bit of a misnomer that um, they don't plants don't need that sort of thing with seaweed. And our research in our nursery has shown that you can use liquid seaweed 12 months of the year, yeah. and it, and it really is great for, for to get the earthworms active as well. Because the earthworms are breeding between May and, uh, uh, and October. Right. And I've also got a couple of other ones that I might have to move again because of the fence uh, that are in the ground and have been in there for some, some time. Would now be the right time or should I dig them up a bit later? Or Oh, no, you could, you could dig them up now. 
Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, you make sure you use a good sharp shovel yeah. to to uh, you know cut the roots you know fairly um, evenly, not frayed, and um, and and come in around the around the around the plant all the way around the plant with your shovel, and then lift them from there. Thanks for your help. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. And uh, next up we have our good friend Sue in Mount Evelyn. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. But the, the lady's already covered uh, part of the question I was going to ask Graham. I'm, I'm waiting for some roses from you, Graham, actually, that I ordered at um, yes. uh, Tesla's. Right. Um, yeah, I was going to ask that because where I'm going to plant them is quite heavy clay. Right. Was, is it better to, probably would be better to put them into pots first, wouldn't it? If, yeah, if you, if you, yeah, you, if you'd like to do that. Yeah, I've yeah. got very heavy soil now. If the soil is really heavy, am I better to dig a bigger area than just the pot size to plant the roses in? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Make, make it a bit a bit bigger and yep. if you can get some uh, compost into that clay Sue yes I have got got to, well I've got a bit happening again I've used most of it but I've mm. got a lot of leaves at the moment so it won't take long to uh, to do that right yeah how are they going like with the deliveries of the roses at the moment well um, we're, we're still we've still got more roses to come yep and they'll be, be um, the bare rooted stock will still be being delivered for at least the next six weeks. Okay, that mm. sounds really good. We've got to get them all together and just make it in one delivery for you. Yes, yes, yeah, no, that sounds excellent. Okay. Yeah, nice day today, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we're actually going up. I think um, John Newsteeg has got a um, sale on today and tomorrow with the roses too up up his way. We're going oh, to go okay. and have a look mm-hmm. yep. with Virginia. I'm going to visit. She visited mm. me yesterday, so now it's my turn well, to visit Well, you girls behave today. yourselves and don't spend too much money. And don't eat too many sausages. <laughs> Why are there sausages? Well, I don't know, but I know you like sausage oh, sizzles. Oh, that's if I go to Bunnings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia and I, we haven't done it for a while, but we would drive to Bunnings <laughs> just to get a sausage. I don't know if I told you one day we went down there to get a sausage and there weren't any and Virginia said, I am so disappointed. <laughs> anyway, I said, I've got to go to IGA and out the front of IGA, the scouts were doing a sausage stall and I text her, you missed out, but I got my sausage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness <laughs> <me>. <laughs> Oh, dear. Yeah. Well, that should be a good time with John Neustig. He'll have some unusual roses there, so yeah, usually he does. Got, Virginia said, oh, doesn't this rose know it's winter? I've actually got roses coming into... Uh, flower at the moment yeah, in my garden. Yeah. I don't know what's happened there. Yeah, it's been there's been a lot of a lot of light about. Yeah, mm. yeah. How are your grevilleas taking? Uh, you... Oh yeah, going like rockets. Yeah, they yes. take off at this time of the year. Yeah, they, they love it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah great for for that for, for that windbreak. Yes, that's excellent. Good. Well, I suppose I better get off. <laughs> okay, lovely <laughs> day, everybody. Good. And, and Stephen, too, my bezier that you gave me is booming. It oh, good. Well absolutely done. beautiful. Lovely little plant. Thank you. Okay. okay bye. Good to hear from you. Bye. See ya. Right, Graham, you've got a query there. Uh, we've got Rhonda from Bayswater. Uh, has um, eight to ten roses that are not producing branches. They are six to seven years old and they are not thriving. The whole rose is on step. Sorry. Question, what would you give the roses to boost and produce more branches? Well, back again, uh, Rhonda, to um, using liquid seaweed. And I'd certainly start now. 
And um, I, I would be giving them liquid seaweed twice a month to get them up and going, get the new growth going. Okay? What about pruning if they want to produce more branching? Well, um, if, if there's not much by way of branching that's on the rose, she's better try, to try and encourage... Just Those branches, growth. yeah, and, and get, the, get the leaves going. Yep. Mm. Okay. The leaves are the factory of the plant. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now, I've had uh, a message here from Sally in Hyatt. Um, uh, her compost, vegetables in her compost are going mouldy and there are lots of little flies. The compost is off the ground and has a lid. I'd say there's not enough carbon in there. Mm. It's yeah. wet. It's going yeah, to mush. you just got the compost flies in there. I mean, mm. they're, they're not actually going to do much harm, but it doesn't sound like the compost is working well. No. Mm. And, and, and unfortunately, she can't build up heat because it's off the ground with a lid on it, so mm. it's not, she's not going to get the heat enough. But I'd say definitely more carbon, more, more dry material, yeah. more yeah. autumn yeah. leaves at this twiggy time of the stuff, year, or yeah, yeah. twiggy stuff. Yeah, some of your old straw. perennials and things, yeah. you know, if you're pruning back the perennials. Uh, I just put all my Jerusalem artichoke stems into the into the compost the other day. They'll add plenty of carbon to mine. Yes. Um, and I've been making soup ever since. <laughs> <laughs> God, I ended up with bucket loads of the damn uh, things. Well, you're so, well stocked up for that. Oh, yes. We'll have oodles of soup in the freezer for the next. We bought a bag of horse carrots right. uh, for 12 bucks. Uh, this huge bag of carrots. I don't know how we're going to get through all of those. Um, and some celery and some onions. And, and I used some of my own garlic. And I've been, I think, I've made up four batches of soup so far <laughs> and I reckon there's at least another two batches in it there yet to go. The problem is I'm starting to run out of containers to freeze it in and room in the freezer to freeze it. Right. So I'm not quite sure where we go at the end of the day but anyhow, yeah, we do our best. Which reminds me I'm in the middle of making lemon slices ready for the Radiothon folks so ah. if you come in on the day of Radiothon I guarantee there will be lemon slices again. Ooh, well, I that's got enough into, to bring people in. I got mm. into trouble one year because I'd come back from Normandy in the oh, Loire Valley yeah. And I arrived at midnight the night before Radiothon. Oops. Uh, came in, rushed in, did Radiothon, but of course I hadn't had time to make lemon slices, and I heard about that for quite a while. Oh dear! So you, see, you create these things. <laughs> I these know. Things and for yourself, you... <laughs> and then you've got to live up to the expectations. Right. So but there will be do? lemon slices this year. So you, you've got plenty of lemons, I assume. Yes, Pam. yes, yes I've got great. a lemon tree. I've got lemon got... trees that are flowering now, which is really unusual, isn't it? No. Oh, no flower no, now, I've got a few flowers on mm. mine. Yeah. yeah, actually, I have, I have to say I haven't looked at mine recently. I should have a look. Yeah. I know I've got lots of fruit sort of uh, ripening on my lemons and uh, and my uh, limes and all that sort of stuff. There seems to be plenty of ripe fruit there at the moment. Well, yeah. as you can yeah. see, I've had a bumper crop of my um, finger limes. Yes. Ooh. Absolutely. That was all while I was away. They were just starting when I went away, and I've had a massive bumper crop again. Yeah. So, um, we sorry, got, AB. <laughs> we got greeted with some um, handouts of um, Pam's finger limes as we arrived yes. at, at the studio yes, so this morning. going to go home with a, mm. a little bag full to uh, yeah. enjoy. As long yes. as we don't have a hangover. <laughs> you won't have a hangover. <laughs> Depends on how you use them. Yes. Yes, if you use them in some sort of alcoholic concoction, you might get a hangover. But you, you, you wouldn't normally juice them, Graham. Mm. You know they come out like little yes, caviar. Yes, yes. Yes. yes, so perfect on top of smoked salmon or oysters mm. or, yes, mm. wonderful. Anyway... I'll leave that up to the two of you to work out what you're going right. to do with them. Well, they <laughs> certainly won't be wasted on my, in my household, that's for sure. No, I knew they wouldn't be. No. We're going to our next caller, and we have uh, Anne in Whittlesea. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning. Um, I'm ringing really for my daughter, who wants to 
plants a fig tree, but she doesn't know which um, which sort to get. Now I know your fantastic uh, fruit fellow does come on every now and then. Graham Morrison, yeah. yes. Hmm. I wonder if you had his phone number, I could ring him, or will, or would you have a? I, I I can give you his phone number. Um, I know I know one of the fig trees that he strongly recommends is one called brown turkey. Um, he's grown that and found that that's particularly um, particularly uh, nice fruit with a good flavour. But um, I will certainly give you his phone number because I know he's quite happy to take calls. Um, if you can bear with me for one second while I just find it. Brown turkey, Brown turkey. Brown turkey, yes. But um, here we go. Have you got paper and pencil? Yes. Okay, his number is 0418 0418 482 482 610 610 You're very kind, thank you. That's fine. Now, he's the perfect one to to give you advice on how to plant, what what varieties and all the rest of it. And he may know where you can source a particular one too. So if you're after, if he suggests something uh, and you're one worried about where you'll get it from, he can probably help you there too to set you in the right direction. Okay. Because it's quite a major, you know, thing to... Oh, yes, it is. Yes, you don't want to start off with the wrong one. <laughs> that would be no. sad. And, and figs are just gorgeous. Mm. If you've got your own supply of figs, wow, heaven. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much, Phil. Um, I can't live without every Sunday morning. I do enjoy your, your show. Thank you so much. Oh, that's good. Okay, thanks, yeah. Anne. Bye. Bye. Okay, uh, we are running through until 9.15, so you've got uh, just about 20 minutes or so if you want to jump on the phones and give us a call. That number is 94190155 to speak to either Stephen or Graham Sargent, or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. Did you have something there, Stephen? No, no, no. I've, I've done all my bits and pieces okay. that have come in from the outside line, so I don't have any uh, other queries that have come in. So, Okay. Graham. Pam, I'd like to mention about a, an apple tree, a dwarf apple. Yes. Uh, it's, and the apple, apple's called Monty Surprise. And um, there were um, some people that were talking about this apple at the Tesla Rare Plants um, up in the, in the Dandenongs. Yes. And this apple... apple um, has got quite a history. It was discovered along the roadside of all things in New Zealand and a gentleman who discovered it decided he'd propagate it and apparently he's made it available to a lot of the schools in New Zealand for their, for their school gardens. Okay. But the apple itself, um, from, from what he's, um, or what's been described is, is an apple that, um, is very nutritious and there's been quite a bit of work done on the, the, the nutrition of this actual apple. Okay. Um, and it's a dwarf apple, and as a matter of fact, I was so impressed with the, the talk that was given about this, amongst other things, I, I purchased a couple myself to put in the garden. Right. So uh, we're just going to see how it goes. And we've been lucky enough at our place to be um, eating apples from trees that I planted years ago, and for a couple of years I thought I'd wasted my time with these trees now, but it's, they've been fantastic. Okay. And what we've had is um, spare apples I've been feeding to the fowls every day. Mm. And the fowls just love them. So have you got the right um, uh, pollinator for yes. these ones? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Right. I've got two of them, so they'll, 
they'll, yeah, they'll, 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 they'll move in. Yep. Um, they'll be okay. So have they, have, have they analysed the nutritional value of some of the other varieties of apples? I, I haven't heard of anyone no, doing I that. Mm. Um, it would yeah, be nice to have a comparison yeah. between different mm. species. I mean, we do taste tests, but... But we mm. don't look at the nutritional side of apples, really. I mean, mm. we all just say, oh, yeah, all well, fruit's good, good for, for you. Yeah, but yeah exactly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But if this particular cultivar supposedly has a higher nutritional level, mm. um, it would be interesting to know what it's actually being... Compared mm. against, exactly. In a sense, yes. You know, because you can you can make um, research come out the way you want sometimes, depending on how you do it. Mm. So it would be interesting to know how they decided that Monty's surprise was a specifically nutrient rich apple, yes. uh, and uh, and what the ones they were or what ones they were that they compared it against would be well, interesting. People could look up um, the grower, and the grower's name is Plant Net. So they could look at, look that up if they want to, or con- contact PlantNet and um, get them to send some information yeah, about the go. apple. And it is a dwarfish growing apple. Yes. Mm. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it does. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'd, I'd be intrigued to to hear a bit more about it actually. And as I say, I'd love to know if if mm. they've done any comparisons with, well, for that matter, fruit mm. in general. Mm. You know. Yeah, we sort of know that bananas are high in potash or whatever. Um, but, yeah, we don't really, you know, we just assume everything that's a fruit we should be eating and it's good for us and we don't sort of go exactly. into Exactly. And, and again, as you said, we might know something general about bananas as a whole. I mean, yeah. I've never seen a comparison between different varieties of bananas or, no. or whatever. So mm. how interesting. Yeah. Yes, it's a whole new um, field of endeavour that could be out there for people who are into the scientific bent of things. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're waiting in the farming world for farmers to be paid on the nutritional value of their crop. Mm. That's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yes. Now, with tests Instead taken, of volume. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we, we can see that movement happening now, in, especially with diet and our challenges with obesity. Mm. And um, I believe that there are quite variations in even wheat. Mm. And um, there's a... a, a a bakery up at Sassafras that actually mill wheat that they get from up in the Riverina and um, they actually mill the wheat on site in, in the actual bakery mm. and um, they're, they're promoting uh, the nutritional value of this organically grown wheat yeah. which comes from up around Tamora in, in the Riverina. So we're starting to um, see the, the same sort of thing happening in the beef world where they're uh, looking at um, marbling of beef and the value of that marbling and even the value of that fat that's it within the meat itself. Mm. So um, I reckon we're in for an exciting next 20 years in the world of nutrition. Well, I don't know if you listened to the program last week, but we were talking about just this and there's mm-hmm. a... There's, there's all sorts of devices and apps and things that are coming on the market where you can actually point it at, at produce mm. and it's going to give you all sorts of nutritional values and sugar contents and um, it's, it's all, it's, and it's starting to happen overseas. Yeah. Yes, so really, really interesting work being done, research. So, 
And that's a little hand handheld. Yeah, thing. that's on your mobile phone. Oh, really? Basically, yes. Goodness me! So it's mm. it's all. I've only just learned how to use it as a phone. <laughs> I'm in the same. Hey, you're way ahead of me. Well, I'm doing the Facebook and the I know, Instagram. I know. I'm stuff not. Now. I'm not even doing that. Yeah. So. You, oh, yeah. Well, I've actually become somewhat addicted to that. I know. Been, that's why I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been fun though, and I've enjoyed it, and I've had a lot of feedback from uh, from people since I've got home from the trip because the whole they time they were following I'm, you. Yeah. I was. I was putting up images of where we were going and all that sort of thing. And so I guess that's another thing. If people want to sort of go into my um, Instagram and Facebook accounts and stuff and start following, it's a great way to see what I'm seeing. So if I'm away on a tour, I'll be posting pictures as we go along. Uh, I'll tell you where they are so that you've got a sense of where we've been. Uh, and certainly with the Corsican and the um, French tour, um, uh, both those trips I... I Almost every day was putting things up on Facebook, so uh, uh, it is. It's a it's a great resource when you can just go into some sort of uh, app like Facebook and see all of this stuff, so that you can see what you could be seeing yourself and um, uh, and keeping up with people. It's mm. amazing how what, many people I've caught up with since I started doing Facebook that yeah. I haven't seen for years. Yeah. There's no hiding, Stephen, anymore. No, there is no hiding. <laughs> uh, but that's all right. I mean, I'm not out there to try and hide, really. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be doing radio and, and all the other things I do in horticulture. Exactly. Uh, so for me, it's all about being out there in the, in the, uh, in the public arena. Yep. So, yeah, so the Facebook and Instagram and all that sort of gear uh, is all just part of that, I suppose. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay, we're going to go to, goodness me, who have we got? But it's Virginia Online. Good morning, Virginia. Hi, I rang the outside line. Yeah, I've been past the note. Yes, except when I looked at it, I'd given her the wrong address. Oh, okay, well, just as well I hadn't read it out yet. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so 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 you're talking about going to John Neusteg because he's selling roses today and tomorrow. Today and tomorrow, and the address is 1910. 1910. So 1910. Okay. Well, if I'd sent everyone to number 19, they wouldn't have found any roses. No. no. It would have and they would have been uh, at least a thousand places away from there. <laughs> and they would and have been very cross very with me. <laughs> okay. So, so go through the full address again, Virginia. It's 1910 Healesville Cooirup Road, Yellingbow. Okay. So if you go through, through Lilydale, Onto the um, onto the highway and go through Wandon through Seville, which is me. Then the next town after that, you come to the Hillsville Cooirup Road. You turn right onto the Hillsville Cooirup Road at a set of lights, and it's not very far down that road. So essentially, he's Yarra Valley, and he's not that far from you at Seville. No, he's very close to me in Seville. Okay. And he's He's got a lot of roses, and as he's a wholesaler, he only does this once a year. Okay. Excellent. So, if people are in the area, go, and it's a beautiful day up here. Wonderful. It's going to be a gorgeous day to be out and about anywhere, I think, It is, Virginia. I think. Exactly. It's, yeah, mm. terrific. All right, thanks for that. <laughs> okay, Pam. Cheers. Okay, we'll catch up soon. See you. Okay. Uh, let me see. We have uh, Kirsty, who's out in Turek. Good morning, Kirsty. Good morning. How are you? We're well, thank you. It is a beautiful day. Good. Um, I've got a west wall. It's brick, and mm. it gets very hot. Yeah. In summer, and I need something 
well, what I'd like something is about three metres, four metres high mm. that has some flower at some stage and is um, evergreen. Are we talking about a climber or a shrub? Uh, a shrub. You, so you want a shrub against a hot wall yeah. uh, that will flower, gets to about three metres. Yeah. Um, well, actually, there's oodles of stuff, but some things that come to mind, uh, some of the native hibiscuses, the allegonies. Oh, yes. Uh, quick growing, uh, as long as you prune them regularly to keep them compact uh, and in order, because they can get sort of rangy and fall apart in time if they're not given a, a regular pruning to keep them neat. They flower for months. You can get white ones, blue ones, pink ones. There's a whole range of colours in them, and they love the heat, and as long as it's a reasonably well-drained site, they should be fine. Yes, it is. It is reasonably well done. All right. Yeah. Well, then yeah. you could you could do far worse than planting an allegheny. Um, I mean, an, an aspect like that would suit many of our Australian bottle brushes, grevilleas, uh, all that sort of style yeah, yeah, of plant. Yeah, no, I, I'm a, yeah, I'm a cross size. I was sort of sort of looking for something, and I had thought of hibiscus. Yeah, well, certainly, uh, and the exotic hibiscuses could be worth looking at as well. I mean, there's a range of different species, and pretty well all of them will cope with a fair bit of heat. Uh, the deciduous ones, the um, hibiscus syriacus, uh, the Rose of Sharon ones, they're lovely, and you can get them yeah, in whites, blues, and things. I really wanted an evergreen because it's severely, obvi- you know, it's a very prominent brick wall. Yeah, all right. Well, then yeah. uh, there's the um, roses, uh, the hibiscus roses sinensis types. The uh, the evergreen hibiscus would certainly be worthwhile considering. Okay. Uh, so you could go in one of those directions. Uh, another group of shrubs that could be worth looking at are the ceanothus, the Californian lilacs. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a range of different species of those, and there's some very nice ones that grow to around about the three to four metres, and they do blue very well with their fluffy oh, yeah. blue flowers on them, so they're very pretty um, and certainly and, and very drought ever, tolerant. And they're evergreen? Yes. Oh, there are deciduous ones as well, just like there are within hibiscus, but most of the ceanothus are evergreen. Oh, great. And so they'd be certainly no, worth considering. I don't know those, so I'll have a look at yeah. them. Um, there's a hypericum that you could consider as well, one called Hypericum roallen. Um, it has big golden yellow buttercup-like flowers on it. grows to about the three, three and a half metres tall, uh, probably only about a metre and a half wide, uh, slightly arching stems, and it flowers most of the summer with these bright golden yellow flowers. All right, OK. So there's a few ideas. H- how do you spell that one? Hypericum, H-Y-P. Yeah. E-R-I-C-U-M. I-C-U-M, great. Um, look, one other question. Um, I've got some Sasanquas that uh, their leaves are turning brown and nothing I seem to do. They get a brown patch on them and then they like they've been dried out, but it's, but they're not dried out. It's, um, hmm. Yeah. It's, and it, it almost looks like they've had heat on the leaves, but they haven't. Yeah. Because they're in a very sheltered spot. I have no idea what's going on there. That's the most peculiar. And it's thing. gone from one to the other, like it's. How many have you got there? I've lost three. Goodness <laughs> and me! And I've got two looking very sick. All right. Well, I think you need to cut your losses. I think <laughs> there's something <laughs> going on there that you just need to go. All right. Well, enough's enough. So I'd probably pull out the last two. Now, uh, the last the three I pulled out, there were white grubs in the soil. Yeah, well, you may have curl grubs in the ground, which may have done some damage to the root system, uh, although you'd have to have them in fairly large concentrations for them, I would have thought, to have made any sort of real impact on a Sasanqua camellia. Right. Well, this is over a length of time, over, you know, probably um, a year or two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. look, I, I just think cut your losses, start again. I'd prepare your ground up well, dig lots of compost in, um, uh, 
if you if there's still a lot of curl grubs or whatever it is that's in the ground there. Uh, so see they, they could actually do something to the roots. Oh, yeah, yeah, plants. those sort of things yeah. will eat the roots of plants. Um, yeah. But they do have to be in quite high concentrations to do any lasting damage. So um, if you right. dig the ground over, you'll soon find out whether you've got and absolutely inundated with curl grubs. Uh, and I might add, magpies and chickens love curl grubs. Oh yeah. <laughs> so if oh, you, well, we've got we've got a few magpies there. Yeah. Well, if you dig the ground over away. and throw the curl grubs out onto the path, uh, they'll be gone. <laughs> they'll be gone fairly quickly if the magpies are around. Um, and um, yeah, just get your ground well prepared, and then and then start thinking laterally about another group of plants that you could perhaps put in instead. Right. I well, that's what I am doing. Yeah. <laughs> but I have chopped a couple right back get rid of what is there on them and just see whether the others the other bits survive. Um, I always think the the issue you have with plants that get to that point where they're really really struggling is that even if they survive they take so long before they start coming back again and sometimes you're better just to say all right enough's enough let's just pull them out yep. start again because you you can lose two years or more. And, and they've been weakened so they're yeah. going to be more susceptible to yeah. other and diseases. And they may or may not pests. ever become yes. good plants again. Yes. So if I've got a really ailing plant, I'm more inclined to whip it out and start again with a nice, fresh, healthy young plant, uh, even if I'm planting the same thing back again, um, just because you're not going to lose all that time waiting for something to maybe or maybe not recuperate. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. It's a pleasure. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, let me see. Uh, we have uh, Ron, and Ron's out in Doncaster. Good morning, Ron. Yes, good morning. Um, I think this probably should be directed at Stephen because mm-hmm. uh, I got on last week and there wasn't time to fully answer my query. It's regarding um, the need for a, a root barrier in an outside small outside garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was planting a ficus hilli flash um, brand mm-hmm. or type, um, the reason being is that uh, this particular garden is bordered on one side by my um, slab. Uh, uh, situated home, mm. concrete slab, and on the other uh, side, it's just, it's like a um, half a ellipse actually, or half a circle, but it's more of a ellipse. Uh, is bought by a concrete, uh, um, sorry, a paver driveway, which is set on crushed rock and sand, and filled in with mortar and sand mm. between the bricks, so they can be removed at any time. That's the idea. Um, now, the problem I'm, I'm what I'm concerned about is I'm told this ficus hilli. Uh, is, has a very aggressive root system, and I'm worried about the roots if they get into the driveway, crush rock and sand, and come up and start dislodging the pavers mm-hmm. or misforming them. Um, I'm wondering, do you have any recommendations for the depth of uh, root barrier in the form of a polythene film that I understand is sold? Yeah. And how deep should it be? Um, well, if I was putting down a root barrier for something like a ficus hilii, uh, I would want to get it down, probably need to get it down nearly a metre. Right. So you'd have to go down Long quite way. a way. I might add that although they do have fairly aggressive root systems, we're probably looking at at least 15 to 20 years before there's going to be any problems. Mm. And so our own longevity needs to come into play here. Um, so, you know, I would consider that as well and whether it's worth going to the effort. And I'd also consider whether, in fact, there might not be a better alternative tree. I think we suggested that last yeah. week, maybe not a ficus. Yes, the, the reason, I, I think, um, uh, Pam, you may have uh, um, forgotten, I, I mentioned the reason I chose the ficus hilli, I, my crew uh, questioned this with a number of um, nurseries, is that it's almost total shade. 
Yeah. Um, probably about an hour of sunshine in the middle of the day, and a bit of filtered sun earlier before that, but not much through a big cholesterol. So it's and it's got the house backing onto the one side of the this bed, mm-hmm. which is only 3.4 long by 1.3 deep, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the house is the 3.4 side with the concrete slab footings. Um, so it doesn't get a lot of sand, and that was the one that seemed to be most people were suggesting uh, because yeah. of the shade. Yeah, I still think there's plenty of other plants that would do, do the job. Yeah, yeah, I think you need to be a little bit sort of um, uh, more inquisitive about other potential plants because it might just take that whole problem away. Right. Um, uh, how tall do you want the plant to grow to? Oh, not that tall, probably about um, two to two and a half metres. And are you happy to prune? Certainly, yes. I I thought I'd have to prune the ficus. Well, you will, yes. The ficus will need to be cut anyway. Mm. Um, I'll just throw a couple of ideas into the hat and you can go away and think about them as well. Uh, One would be Azara Microphylla. Azara, is it A-S or A-Z? A-Z-A-R-A, microphylla from Chile. If it's not pruned or anything, it will grow into a very light, airy, small tree to around about four metres. Right. Um, it will grow in the conditions quite well. Its root system is not invasive. Uh, it has tiny flowers that you won't even notice, but the most fantastic vanilla fragrance that wafts around the garden in August when it's in flower. Right. And it just has really pretty, light, ferny-looking branches of tiny, bright or glossy dark green leaves. Sounds nice. And it's quick growing, uh, and it can be pruned if it gets taller than you want. It doesn't grow particularly wide, so it's not going to take up a lot of room widthways. Um, and it could be a, a good alternative. Um, mm. Do you want it to be trunky and then branch out, or are you happy for something that has foliage down towards ground level? Uh, I'm quite happy for the foliage right down at the ground and, and um, with that. And, and by the way, that one, is that a, um, availability? Uh, it's about a bit. I sell it. Uh, you mean a rare plant? Sell it. Um, I know that um, uh, Tina Crawford at Smith and Gordon regularly lists it on a wholesale list, so it must be available out there in other nurseries. So it's certainly worthy of consideration. Where is Amina? You minor. Yeah, it's oh, up in the Dandenongs. Oh, is it right? Yeah, yeah up at Monbolk. Um, so yeah, so the, the plants around. I know I've got some in stock at the moment. Um, if you're happy to have foliage down to ground level, I'd also, I'd seriously consider one of the Himalayan clumping bamboos. Uh, right, they're obviously, yes, clumping means they don't spread. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, mm. so they stay at home. Uh, they're airy, they're light, mm. they'll cope with the shade. I should have mentioned this, um, Stephen, it's right near a front the door. This, this part, this driveway pathway leads right up to the front door, so that's the other thing. I, I don't want something to be dropping leaves everywhere. Well, anything you plant is going to drop leaves. Oh, well, a lot of leaves. Yeah, <laughs> well, the bamboos, will, they mad. have their moments where they shed, um, so there would be a clean-up issue there. But they're light and airy and they move in the wind, and I think they're very elegant plants mm-hmm. uh, and would certainly grow in the conditions. Right. Yes. So there's a couple of oh, suggestions. So, yeah, I don't think you need to get yourself locked in with the ficus, and because of the issues with its vicious root system, mm. I think I would be looking for alternatives. Right, I see. Okay, and you reckon that if I did take the ficus for one reason or another, I'd have to go down at least a metre? I reckon about a metre. Right yeah. around the house side as well as the driveway side? Uh, to be on the safe side, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. right. You know, for the Definitely long term. Definitely easier to choose a different plant. Yeah, well, I would have thought so. Yes. How would you spell Amina Nursery, by the way? Uh, Y-A- oh, Y-M, that's right. Yeah, Y-A-M-I-N-A. I-N-A. Terrific. I'll let someone else get on. I appreciate your help. That's okay. a pleasure. Goodbye. Bye. We've only got a couple of minutes. Very quickly, we're going to uh, Bernie, who's in Langwarren. Good morning, Bernie, and we'll have to be quick. Yes, no worries. <coughs> Sylvia, when to <coughs> pardon me? When to prune, and can I take cuttings at the same time? 
you can generally take cuttings off salvias at the same time as you prune them if you wish to do so. Uh, and it depends on the variety. I mean, there are literally hundreds of different salvias, some of which are winter flowering, in which case you wouldn't prune them. No, now. this is the red one, and it flowers mainly in the um, summer, spring. Yeah. All right, well, then I would, uh, if it's looking scruffy, whip it down now. Now, is yep. okay. And how close? Uh, well, most of those things, you prune them down to ground level. Uh, and just leave any new shoots... Not that to are, the main stump, but just up from there. No. Well, if it's a multi-stemmed plant, which most salvias are, you take the whole plant down. To ground level? Yes. Yes, because they're perennial. Okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, yeah, so but it, there is always the risk, because I don't know which salvia you're talking about, uh, no, no, that enough. you know some salvias require different conditions to others. But most of the salvias, I'd cut them down to near ground level when I do prune them. Okay, no problem. All, All right, right. Okay. thanks very much. Bye. That's a pleasure. Uh, we have run out of time. Yes. I've, had, I've had a couple of questions here and from the outside I've line, and you've got well. one too. Mm. I think we're going to have to deal with them next week. All right. um, I know with my two, I've got Penny Woodward on next week, and she'll be able to handle both of these queries. So um, I'm sorry, Jan, uh, Jan in Ashburton, uh, John in Ringwood, and uh, I can't read the name, someone in Williamstown North. We will handle your questions next week, I promise. So uh, be listening in then. But we have run out of time. Yeah, again. Um, very quickly, Graham, just mention the three dates for your pruning demos. Saturday the 23rd of June at 10.30, Sunday the 15th of July at 10.30 a.m. and Saturday the 28th of July at 1.30 p.m. Fantastic. Right. Okay, um, a big thank you to uh, both Louise and Carol who've been handling all the phones. Good to have you back, Stephen. Um, I'll be back again, of course, next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.